Are you loving the content of our podcast, Weight Inclusive Innovators, and want to support our work for free? There are three things you can do right now to support the pod. Number one, leave us a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews we have, the more people will see our work and the more exposure we'll get. Number two, follow our work by connecting with us on Instagram at Weight Inclusive Innovators and sign up for our weekly newsletter for business support and news. The link will be in the show notes to check this out. And number three, tell your business bestie about our show. Send them episodes you think will be helpful for where they're at in their weight inclusive business or that they'll enjoy listening to because we're hilarious. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians, to building a cohesive brand, to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight inclusive business. The good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the pod. Today we have Chloe Wangu joining us on the pod. She is the brand scientist. And so we're going to get to dive in to her journey about working with brands. And she's a thought leader in this space for sure that we are so excited bring to the podcast today. I know it is for sure going to challenge my mind to think of branding in a new way. Um, And so we are so excited to have her here. So I'm just going to read her bio real quick, and then we will dive right into the episode. Chloe Wangu is the brand scientist and the director of Nobi Works, a brand visibility consultancy rooted in behavioral science. She unabashedly believes brands and visibility strategies not built with power dynamics and biases in mind to consider the old Thanos snap treatment. This means disappearing from this plane of existence for the non-nerds. NobiWorks is in the business of equipping underrecognized brands with brand choices scientifically formulated to make them as noticeable as possible to the right people. Everything you do to be better seen, heard, and understood should work, full stop. And it is her personal mission to make that so. Most recently, she was advised the first refugee delegation to the UN. Chloe, welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. (laughs) Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honestly super flattered to be here. So thank you again. Thank you again. Yes. So we got connected through our dear podcast friend, Heather Kaplan. Uh, Mm. And then the universe works in really mysterious ways because the same week that we I guess, formalized you coming on the podcast, got the date solidified and everything was the same week that your episode came out with Kay Putnam. And it Mm -hmm. just so happens that one of my best friends works with Kay. I just can't believe the universe alignment (laughs) of all of this coming together. And I am so ready to nerd out on the science (laughs) of your work. Oh my goodness. Honestly, when you, when you emailed me that I was like, you know what, this is clearly meant to be. So Yes, let's make this happen before the new year. Like all of this, things just fell into alignment really beautifully. So I I love that this happened. <laughs> they sure did. 
Also, you are our first guest on the podcast that isn't exclusively in the eating disorder weight inclusive space. You are also our first guest on the podcast that Hannah and I didn't know personally before we hit record. So (laughs) snaps to all of that. Um, There just isn't a lot of business support for clinicians. Our degrees are in science uh, or psychology and nutrition not business. There's not a lot of diversity in the answer space. We are just so excited to have you and your incredible brain join (laughs) us. So if we can start out since you may be brand new to some of our listeners, Mm. what has your journey been like as an entrepreneur to get to where you are today? The like dreaded loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get here? Um, yeah. (laughs) So there are a lot of different ways that I can answer this question. I think I'll go with the one that I usually use and it's this, right? I actually did not start off thinking I'd be an entrepreneur. I did not start off as a brand person. I, my background was in international conflict resolution and mediation, right? So like I was an international mediator and what that means is that I'd been trained to facilitate peace negotiations between warring nations or in the context of civil war. Um, and so <laughs> I know I that that... See, I wish the <laughs> listeners could see our faces. Hannah and I's jaws just dropped at the same time. <laughs> Holy shit, that's such a cool background. Yes, <laughs> I was like, um, can we pause there? What? Yeah, that's me. I'm like the weirdest branding person to ever brand, like fully. (laughs) Honestly, though, I could see there being amazing communication skills that translate from that field. That's the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, that totally makes sense. I can I can see a connection there. Anyway, carry on. We'll get to that. I'm so glad that you saw that immediately because seeing that connection took me like a good five years, Um, (laughs) like a a solid five years. Um, (laughs) But what, what actually ended up happening is that at a certain point in my career, and I'm trying to remember which, what file I was working on at this point in time. I think that this was during the time where I was, consulting mostly with this group of independent diplomats right and so they are um they're not they don't represent any one country right but what they do is they work with um democratic separatist movements or um small democratic countries whose needs have been sidelined politically or at the un things like that and so i was brought in as like a fellow and then eventually like a digital diplomacy consultant. And so what that meant is that I would use my weird nerd brain (laughs) and my understanding of how peace negotiations go to help position our clients to get into rooms that they previously would not have been able to have access to. And I think it was this work really that pushed me in this direction of entrepreneurship. Um, And that's because I realized that as a mediator, I was sort of limited to controlling the the dynamics within a room, right? Like I, I became a mediator because I wanted to level the playing field, right? I wanted to go into peace and conflict situations and say, hey, no matter how small your country is, no matter how brown you are, if you all are in this process together, that stuff's not going to matter. I'm going to make sure that you are heard and that whatever 
negotiation or settlement you all come to will be something that all of you can agree to. No one's going to browbeat the little brown person, right? But what I realized, especially in the course of this consulting work that I was doing, is that there were folks who should have been in those rooms, in those negotiations, who weren't even making it in the door. A really good example is the civil war in Yemen. Um, this group that I was working with, they um, they were called in by one of the ethnic groups in Yemen to essentially help them get into the UN peace process, right? Which to me is crazy, right? Like they're a pretty sizable chunk of the population in Yemen, but as far as the UN peace process was concerned, they didn't exist. And so our job was to ensure that they would be part of the discussions about what their country was going to become. And when I realized that they needed help to get into those rooms, that's when I was like, okay, cool, but how are we going to do this? Like, what, what do I currently have in my toolkit that will make this possible? And I had my background in mediation, obviously, right? But my speciality as far as mediation was concerned was using, using social psychology to make mediation efforts more effective, right? So when you're in the room, using what we know about how brains work to make sure that the communications that are happening between the, the parties in the room are as smooth and as transparent as possible, right? Um, and so I was like, okay, cool. Science probably has an answer. Let's look at the science. And so I, that's, I just started doing research, right? I started looking into like the role that public perception has to play and how do we, how do we influence people to treat us a certain way? And, you know, all of these things, right? And through all of my work, through all of my research and, you know, the side work that I did casually building websites and brands for nonprofits, the, just, you know, the things that you do on the side because you can, and you're a young person in the nonprofit world. And they're like, you're young, do the tech stuff, right? So, so <laughs> those two things ended up combining. And I realized that the answer was brands. And that's when I was like, okay, all right, okay, brands and science. Let's figure out what this means. Um, and it's been a journey of like, I mean, I've been in business for six years, but it's been a journey to this point that I'm in right now of about three or so years. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I, I, I got here. It's a weird, it feels like a weird roundabout way, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's always been about, ensuring that the folks that we typically overlook get access to the places that they should be allowed to be. That's really it. <laughs> what an incredible journey. It is. I mean, Hannah and I can really, it's, it's so interesting where you like, you go to school for one thing, you like work in it for a little bit. And then like a few years in, you're like, this is not where I was expecting to be at all. This is, has nothing to do with my degree, but like, how can we how can we tie this together? How can we use yeah. the skills that we've learned in order to create this even more niche, like yeah. niche offering, niche service uh, yeah. to support people? And so that is incredible. That also makes a lot of sense how you got, how you coined the term 
the brand scientist, which when I heard that for the first time, I was like, Ooh, that's a power (laughs) title right there. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's funny actually, because it's funny that you actually mentioned Kay because I like, she's the first person who ever called me the brand scientist. Um, so we, yeah. So we'd known each other before. Um, I think I was in like one of her live courses or something and I was still figuring my stuff out. This was years and years ago. And we were just, I don't remember why, but we were meeting on zoom about something just to, you know, catch up or something. And she's like, you're kind of like, a brand scientist and like we both paused and we were like no that's too corny right like that's not right that's gross right like nah (laughs) but then it kind of stuck right other people started calling me like just saying that like you're kind of like a brand scientist and I was just like this will follow me everywhere but like I have no choice and so I started calling myself that on purpose and now here we are so yeah, yeah. And you like leaned in. It's trademarked, right? You got that trademarked? Yes. Maybe. Maybe. I, I feel like you should. If you haven't, that. you should. Yeah. <laughs> I should talk to my lawyers about that, actually. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. I will. T- I will double check with my lawyers. That's a great question. Thank you for asking me that. As if you need anything else to add to your to-do list in this uh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful season right now. <laughs> Which is, in fact, the most, as we've discussed previously. Yeah, right before we hit record. I I always tell myself, I'm like, I'm never going to be one of those podcast hosts. It's like, before we hit record, here we are. (laughs) Before we hit record, we were talking about how, well, I'll let you go ahead and share. Oh, yeah, no, no. So like a a few days ago, a friend of mine just, I think out of frustration, described this particular month and time of the year as just the most, not the most wonderful time of the year, but just the most and uh fully agree (laughs) resonate with that absolutely absolutely (laughs) okay so you are the brand scientist you are the person that has leaned into allowing folks to have a strong online presence with Mm. the science to back it up yes with all of that knowledge (laughs) what do you feel like people get wrong about branding oh okay so you've just You've unleashed the floodgates. Um, oh, I'm ready. Bring it where on. do I begin? Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Where do I start here? Right. We can, okay. we can pin things and, and pull it all back in later. So. Thank you. I might need you to do that fully because like truly you've opened a Pandora's box. Okay. So, so first thing that I find that people tend to get wrong is super basic things. Like what is a brand? What is branding? Right. And to be fair, there are probably as many definitions for both of these things as there are people to give them, right? And that's for reasons. However, when I am talking about a brand and when I'm talking about branding, I am doing it from a scientific perspective. The definition from a scientific perspective of let's start with brand and then go into branding. Scientific definition of a brand is simply a system of ideas that influences the behavior of other people. Said another way, it's a type of influential real estate in somebody's head. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And so I know that that feels pretty abstract, but I'll invite you and folks who are listening to imagine with me just what somebody's mind actually looks like, right? Psychology, behavioral psychology, cognitive and otherwise, has told us that 
Our minds are this wonderful constellation of interrelated ideas and memories, right? It's an associative memory network for, you know, the nerdy nerds out there, right? And so a brand, all that a brand is, is just one of these clusters of stars that are interrelated to each other. That's all a brand is. I like this definition because it includes, it allows us to include more than just, you know, a commercial a commercial entity, right? Now we're thinking about nonprofits. Now we're thinking about nation states, right? Which is, again, how I got here, right? I was looking at a civil war and I said, okay, how do we change the perception of this group so that they can get access to this space that they deserve to be in? And the answer, right, is that, well, we change the system of ideas that people have around this group. And we do it in such a way that it influences their behavior towards them. A brand, what it does is it teaches others how to treat you. And that means different things in different contexts. In the context of a civil war, it means one thing, right? In the context of a, of a private business in the online sector, it means something else, right? But ultimately, that's what it's doing. When we know what a brand is, that then allows us to talk about what branding actually is. And all that branding is, is a brand's brand assets. That's all it is, the collection of their brand assets. And specifically, it's their memorable brand assets. Now we get there, we get to the memorable piece, because we know that in order to influence anybody's behavior, any human being's behavior, you have to, at the very least, be memorable. You have to have been remembered at some point in time. Otherwise, you don't stand a chance of influencing behavior, right? And so when we're looking at what makes branding, what do its job from a scientific perspective, we know that it has to be something that can serve as a memory anchor, right? Something that when someone sees it, they immediately access that little cluster of stars in that corner of your memory map. Yeah, really, that's, that's, that's basically it. Yeah. So that's, that's what a brand is. That's what branding is. Um, I think a really good example of, of branding that I, I've been, I've taken to giving more often is Jake from State Farm. Yes. Jake from State Farm is branding. Jake from State Farm is a brand asset, a memorable brand asset, right? State Farm at somebody, they they may have hired a brand scientist, I don't know, but somebody came back to them and was like, look at your data. This original khakis commercial that you all did was one that people are still talking about. They remember it. It got past the brain filters. Refresh this. Keep doing this. Make this your thing. And so they did. And now it's to the point that I remember, I think I was watching somebody on YouTube give a hate review of, I think the movie was called Tall Girl, or maybe it was Tall Girl 2. I don't remember. It was bad. It was bad. And so I was watching someone review it because it's funny to me. (laughs) And they were showing footage from this movie. And out of nowhere, Jake from State Farm is just in the shot and he's talking to the main character and i remember literally saying out loud like the weirdest version of myself is that jake from state farm (laughs) like out loud 
there was no one with me, okay? I was watching this YouTube video by myself. And I still said out loud, is that Jake from State Farm? Like a complete crazy person. And um, it was indeed Jake from State Farm. And that's what branding is meant to do. Every time someone sees one of your brand assets, you want them to have that reaction. When they see your colors, when they hear your tagline, when they see your logo, when they see your random celebrity endorser person, right? Or the actor who's your spokesperson. You want them to see that person and say, is that? That's the reaction that you want them to have. That's how you know that branding is doing its job. Ta-da. So first two things that people tend to get wrong are those two things. Thoughts, questions, concerns before I go on to like the whole plethora of other things that I see. (laughs) I am feeling like in my head, I have a visual of me as a small child with like giant glasses and giant eyes, just like furiously (laughs) taking note of everything you're saying and just soaking it in. I'm you're totally blowing my mind and I'm (laughs) fucking cackling at Jake from State Farm. What a great example. And the question that comes up for me in this is what happens if it's like a, a bad, a bad brand, like Mm. someone gets known for something, like, let's say Jake from state farm is like a total fuck boy. And everyone's (laughs) like, I hate this person. Like what the (laughs) fuck state farm? Then what do you do? What do you do? Fully, you have to drop them. That's what you do. That's what you do. You have to kill him. You you have have to to kill them. They have to die tragically. That's... (laughs) we're gonna need to follow up with someone in the PR world to come uh to come handle that yeah for us oh my gosh but like like I mean if we're if if we are thinking about it from the scientific perspective memories are associative right and so what happens when your primary spokesperson who up until then has been a pretty memorable brand asset it comes out that they are like full-on the absolute worst person like the worst well uh that's going to be like that's going to be that that's going to be a part of someone's memory network that's now going to be connected to your brand and so anytime somebody accesses thoughts or things that are related to your brand it's also going to be contaminated by this other idea and so what you need to do and this is why like PR folks and like crisis management folks are just like, okay, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. This, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to separate the star, the idea, the memory of this problem from your brand, from the, your idea system. Right. So that's, that's generally, that's, that's generally what you have to do. It's easier to do that than trying to rehabilitate or shift the the narrative just because we do have a negativity bias. And so once that's sort of placed in our heads, that's something that's a bit difficult to overturn. So depends on the situation, of course, maybe rehabilitation is worth it, but generally you wanna try to separate, yeah. My brain is trying to get way into the weeds. So I'll leave you with this last thought on this, but it (laughs) makes me think about how the risk that you take on with having a persona associated with a brand, whether it's a celebrity or like a person who has their own behavioral influence on how 
that can impact a brand. Yeah, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And that's why you want to be very, very careful and very strategic in your selection of brand assets. So a really smart choice that I saw a brand recently make around spokespeople is Smartwater. They recently brought on Zendaya, Zendaya, right? As one of their spokespeople, right? And so they're doing a combination of things that are actually super smart and like are, you know, I wouldn't say cutting edge market marketing science, but like pretty cutting edge. Um, they are, they've taken the water out of their, the label in their name. Right. And so just on their bottle, it's, it's just smart. And now they also have Zendaya and all the lovely, warm, gorgeous feelings that we have around Zendaya connected to their brand. Smart, like, like having Zendaya say smart things or say something, 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 just make sure it's smart. You're just like, yeah, that tracks. Absolutely. Yes. Of course, Zendaya would say this. Right. So brilliant, brilliant work, brilliant choice on their part. Right. And the chances that, I mean, fingers crossed, protect Zendaya. She must be protected at all costs, but the chances (laughs) that something awful um, that we're going to discover that she's like a sociopath or something very slim. Right could happen, but still super slim. So it was a sound investment that they made in terms of, well, in terms of a lot of things, but in terms of money, in terms of attentional resource, it just in terms of a lot of in things that they did. Smart choice. So yeah. yeah, it seems very values aligned and very intentional and purposeful and just like, well done. Yeah, exactly. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Always chef's kiss. <laughs> so these are my soapbox. <laughs> these are my soapbox. We're here for the soapboxes and the <laughs> yeah. hot takes and the thought challenging ideas. Okay. Bring amazing. Amazing. Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm going to present both of them to you and then you get to pick which one I start with. Okay. Because I love both of them so much. All right. So the first one is this burn your ideal client avatar, burn it to the ground, destroy it, cast it into the fire. <laughs> She went um, there. She went there. <laughs> Tell me more. So I'm confident more. in saying this. <laughs> I just want to, I want to start with this one because this is something where I so I do, do branding and mm-hmm. I have always built an ideal client avatar and I love it and it feels so good. And more recently I've gotten into more of like ethics of branding and I was like something isn't feeling right but I don't have anything to replace this with. Yeah. Yep. Give me something to replace this with, please. Okay. The thing that you replace it with is something that I call a stakeholder spectrum. And I say that I call it that because I invented it. Um, So your your replacement is a stakeholder spectrum. Now, I'll I'll explain what I mean when I say this. But first, I'm going to tell you why ICAs are bad. Um, (laughs) So ICAs do a couple of things, a bunch of things. But... The primary thing that they do is if you are an underrecognized person, and when I say underrecognized, I mean, are you a woman? Are you a person of color? Are you the combination of both? Are you queer? Are you any of those things, right? If you are any of those things, ideal client avatars will lull you into a false sense of security. And what I mean by that is this. If you are any one of these kinds of people, you know, you have observed in your own life that when you enter a room 
And you are there because you need to change somebody's mind on something or change someone's behavior, get someone to do something. You know, when you walk into that room, that it's not enough for you to know the person whose mind you want to change or the person who it is you want to have support you. That's never, ever, ever been enough. It's never been enough to be like, that person, I want them to support me. And as soon as I get them to support me, everything's going to go amazingly. Because as an underrecognized person, number one, how are you going to get access to this person? The whole reason that I started my entire practice is because people who should be getting access to certain spaces, if we want, if the things we want to happen are going to happen, aren't. And that's because they come from these communities. And so the problem with ICAs is they pretend that as a business run or founded by or headed by someone who comes from an underrecognized community, they pretend that as long as you know who it is that you want to sell your wares to or have support you or whatever it happens to be, that you're going to succeed. When we know for sure that underrecognized folks have to be well connected in order for that success to happen and in order for that success to be sustainable. This is why instead of saying, oh, ICAs, right? Like this one person, what I like to do is have a spectrum of stakeholders that you consider, right? So that's that's one thing. That's the that's the first thing. The second problem with ICAs that really, really super duper bothers me is the fact that they weigh you down with useless information. So like, is it great for me as a brand scientist or X person as a marketer or you Morgan as someone who does branding work, right? Is it great for us to know that this person's ideal client is someone who enjoys pink grapefruit seltzer? Like, is it, is it good that we know that? I mean, I guess <laughs> in, in theory, I suppose that's something that could add some color to the creative, right? But it's not something that's actually going to be useful for our clients. And I argue it's something that ends up distracting us as practitioners in the marketing or branding field. That really at the end of the day, what we ought to be focusing on are motivations, right? That's what we want to be focusing on. And the thing that's great about motivations is that they can belong to multiple types of people. So you don't have to do the like uncomfortable, icky thing where you say, okay, so your ideal client, are they white? Are they a woman or a man? Are they somewhere in between? Are they you, like, you don't have to do the icky thing of saying, okay, cool, I'm only going to be paying attention to these people. Instead, you can serve a spectrum of people who share a motivation. Ooh, there was another thing connected to this point that I wanted to add. Oh, I see a hand. Yes, please, please go ahead. <laughs> you are fucking blowing my mind right now. And the Thoughts coming up for me is looking at an ICA ideal client avatar is not only are you picking things based on people's attributes in a way, mm -hmm. but also you're making assumptions about what you think you know about them. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. And this actually just reminded me of the thing. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story that somebody told me. There was this, I, I don't know where they were located or what kind of business they were, but they were just imagine some brick and mortar business in a Brooklyn analog, right? Um, and they had done all of the work that you should do. They had a brand strategist, a branding person, a marketing person, right? They'd done all the work that they were supposed to do, very detailed ICA, all the things, the works, right? And so they shaped their space around this ICA, which again, that is best practice. That's branding and marketing and all the things best practice, right? So for example, they had um, their payment system be completely like phone, just your phone, right? Like you pay with your phone and that's it. They didn't keep any cash on the premises, right? It's a, it's a trend that you're starting to see in a lot of places now, right? Which great. This is something that their ICA freaking loves, adores. They're like, what? I forgot my wallet and I can, t- yes, thank you. Every day, all the time. Who didn't appreciate it were the folks who actually lived in the neighborhood that they had planted themselves in, right? Lots of them were folks who were lower income and they didn't have, their phones didn't have the technology to allow them to pay with their phones, right? And this happened largely because someone said, okay, let's do an ICA and then like be done with it. And someone might say, okay, well, like that example doesn't mean that you should throw out ICAs altogether, just make multiple ICAs, right? Cool. How do you make an ICA of someone you don't even know to be aware of? How? Wow. This, I just said this, the silence after that <laughs> question, I was like, I don't have an answer. <laughs> like, teach us. Um, <laughs> So what I hear you saying is one ICA is exclusionary and -hmm. contributing to systems of oppression and power and prioritizing one kind of person. Yep. Fuck. Yeah. And multiple ICAs don't fix the problem because you're just kind of like doing it multiple times, which is like not great, not great. And so instead, what I do is I say, okay, cool. Let's look at people across a few different spectrums. Let's look at receptivity, for example, right? And so I'm gonna I'm going to demonstrate with my with my fingers. I know people can't see this, but <laughs> hopefully I'll probably have some resource that I can link in the show notes that people can go look at. This will be helpful. Um, <clears throat> so what I will do is I'll have a spectrum, right? And it'll have two ends, two definite ends. One of the spectrums that I always do is receptivity. So when we look at the spectrum, we have, okay, who's the most receptive to what you're doing and how you're doing it? Who's the least receptive? And then somewhere in between at the midway point, who's midway receptive? Why? And then we do that for a few different spectrums, right? So receptivity is one that I always do. Um, another one that I often find myself using is uh, power, right? Um, or um, constraint, right? Who's going to be the most constrained by the way we're planning on doing things? Who's going to be the least constrained? Who's somewhere in between? Why, right? And this is how you are able to start considering, to start thinking, to start 
teasing out the motivations of folks who you don't even know to look for or to think about. Add to the fact that a majority of my work is predicated upon the understanding that we have all been conditioned to overlook certain kinds of people, right? So like we are, it's not just that we don't know to think about certain kinds of folks. We we have actively been conditioned to overlook them. And so that's, for example, why uh, <laughs> creating ICAs becomes an increasingly futile and, and pointless exercise, right? Because if you've been conditioned to overlook someone, it's not just that you don't know to look for them. It's that even if you were like kind of sort of thinking in that direction, our brains, filters and conditioning are going to come in and be like, boop, boop, boop. Boop, 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 go over here. So that's why ICAs become less and less effective, especially if you're trying to not amplify systems of oppression. Um, so, so I do stakeholder spectrums instead. There are lots of different spectrums that you can use to sort of consider who it is that might be a stakeholder that exists in your orbit. But those are just some of my favorites. And this exercise, again, it looks different depending on where you're standing, right? So if you are a, a business that is um, run by primarily folks who have a lot of environmental protections, that's code word for privilege, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, if that happens to be you, then what stakeholder spectrums allow you to do is to actively work to overcome that learned brain chemistry. If you happen to be somebody who hails from an underrecognized community, what this exercise allows you to do is figure out all the people in your orbit that you will want to know and want to connect with in order to overcome the various barriers that have been put in your way because people have been conditioned to overlook you. So a great example of that kind of stakeholder that's often overlooked is a gatekeeper. If you come from an underrecognized community, you you know about gatekeepers, right? Because you are often being gatekept. Is it a crime necessarily that most branding strategy and marketing strategy doesn't profile gatekeepers when their clients come from historically underrecognized communities? No, it's not like there's a law about it or anything. Is it a huge missed opportunity? Yes. Is it something that could possibly condemn that business or brand or organization to years and years and years of feeling like they're screaming into the void from whence there is no escape? Also, yes. Can you give us an example of this concept playing out? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Let me think. Hmm. And by that, you mean the concept of a gatekeeper, right? Like just all of, I, I'm imagining this person who is underrecognized walking mm. into a room, like almost a business meeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. using like a metaphor in that way. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So first of all, Bold of you to assume that they get the business meeting. Um, <laughs> bold, of, bold of us to assume that they get that meeting, right? So in, in order to get that meeting, first they have to get past a gatekeeper, right? There was someone who is restricting access to that space. 
this person isn't necessarily an enemy, right? Sometimes it's just their job job. Sometimes they're just like the gate man and like they'll let you through if you ask. And they really just want to get home and make cookies with their kids, right? Like it's not always a bad guy. Um, but access to those spaces are intentionally being, you know, narrowed, right? So first, first you got to know who that gatekeeper is, right? Some folks don't even know where to start in order to get into those rooms. So first understand the motivations of that gatekeeper. So let's say in this case, this gatekeeper is HR, right? Like they're an HR manager at this larger enterprise organization. What we want to be able to do is understand, okay, like what is what are this person's motivations, right? What is driving them to do what they're doing? What what would a win for them look like? Right? Asking all these questions, not like what kind of seltzer do you like? Oh my gosh, tell me. Right? Like that's useless. <laughs> that's not that's not really helpful. I'm like, yeah, cool. We like the same seltzer. What of it? So, <laughs> so understanding this person's motivations means that you're more likely to connect with this person, right? And and a brand strategist or a marketing person or whomever, right? When they are planning for the success of your brand, that's something that they will want you to consider, right? The motivations of this person who is integral to your getting into the rooms that you need to get into in the first place in order for your brand stuff to work, right? So there's that, right? Once you get past that gatekeeper, there's a whole gauntlet of stakeholders that you need to liaise with in order to actually have the meeting happen, right? So sometimes it's the HR manager, but sometimes it's also like that person over in legal, right? Or sometimes it's also, you know, the the HR director, right? Or, you know, there are lots of little stakeholders here and there who are people that you want to understand the motivations of so that you can, at the very least, like, avoid stepping on toes or like irrevocably ruining air quotes any your your chances of getting into that room right hand I see a hand yes okay I'm just curious is it okay if I check something out with you that's like specific sure. kind of like to our private practice type industry totally just to see if that, okay so I'm envisioning um and I'm still gonna have to get rid of this like and I love your input on this I'll just say <laughs> most of the time in my ignorant ideal client brain, the <laughs> client that you, that has an eating disorder that you were wanting to come into your office is your ideal client, mm-hmm. quote unquote, ideal client. We'll move mm-hmm. away from that. Like yeah. is the person that you are directly supporting one-on-one, mm-hmm. but I am envisioning that these stakeholders and these gatekeepers say, if the client is a 22 year old female, mm-hmm. a stakeholder and a gatekeeper to them getting that provider's care is a parent whose insurance yep. they're on, a yep. partner that they're living with, yep. um, their medical provider who doesn't understand eating disorders, their yes. boss to have to take time off of work to get treatment. Is that, yes. am I envisioning All that? All of the above. Yes. Okay. So yes. then I have a follow-up question. Continue. Yes, please. <laughs> that is a lot of work to understand mm-hmm. the motivation of all of those other people just to get that one client into your room or into mm-hmm. your office. Mm-hmm. So how would you go about like, and I know marketing strategy is massive, 
But when it comes to marketing strategy, is it that you're still talking to that one person, kind of understanding all of these other stakeholders' motivations? Mm. Or is that still, am I still stuck in like that ideal client mindset? Yeah. So that's a good question. What I would say is that it, it, honestly does depend, right? Like it depends on the business. Sometimes you are lucky enough to have direct access to that, that I call them brand protagonists, right? Like you are lucky enough to have direct access to your brand's protagonist, right? And so really all you need to do is connect with them and then equip them with the tools or the words or whatever it is that they need in order to go to those other stakeholders and say, hey, this is something that I really need. This is what it might look like. Um, let's get the okay and get this rolling, right? Sometimes that's the case. Other times you don't have direct access to that brand protagonist. And what that means is that maybe you need to connect with this gatekeeper who is I don't know, an, an editor at a very specific magazine that they happen to read, right? And say, hey, I have an article idea for this kind of person. This is something that they are actively worrying about and thinking about. What do you think about having me write some content for you? That's another thing. And like people will do that to get access to their brand protagonists, right? Or sometimes you might not have direct access, but you know someone who knows someone who might. You know someone who knows someone who has like a mastermind community or something where a lot of folks like that congregate and you say, okay, so let me get my friend to introduce me to their friend so that I can then get access to this community of folks who are like my brand protagonist, right? So again, it, it just depends. It depends on the access that you already have, what paths you might need to take to get to who you want to get to. That makes a lot of sense. I also love the term brand protagonist because it, <laughs> I feel like that can kind of, that's, it's more vague of like, yeah. you don't know who you know, who you're reaching, but you, yep. but you can bring in those motivations. My other question, if we can like jump back a few steps to ideal client is, yeah. and I, I fully want to be challenged on this because <laughs> this is, it's something that like, I've used ideal client for forever. And yeah. I, this conversation has been so enlightening to me and I am going to be spending a lot of time figuring out some new language for my resources and my website. So uh -huh. I might, might be consulting with you. Feel, uh, feel free. <laughs> yeah. And so one thing that I, I really like is I'm a very visual learner. And mm. so if I, I have my ideal client built out, I found a stock photo of what I imagine they look like because mm. it's helpful for me to see envision the other person on the side of the screen that's mm. reading my content and interacting with my brand. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if you have another kind of perspective shift where it might still be helpful to have like some sort of visual representation, but mm. it, it's doing the harm of like just having that one yeah. person. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So usually what I have been doing and what I do do with my clients is I will actually just kind of, and I wish I could share, I mean, I guess technically I could share my screen, but nobody listening will be able to see it. But essentially what I do is I put together a behavioral profile of each of the kinds of stakeholders that we identified doing the stakeholder spectrum, right? So 
So this is how the stakeholder spectrums work, right? We have like the three points along the spectrums and then we have multiple spectrums, right? And what I've discovered in the course of my research is that like gatekeeper, there's someone on one of these spectrums and they're usually in the same position in the same spectrum time and time again, right? Brand protagonist, also someone who's normally on the spectrum on a certain spectrum at a certain place. I've identified, I want to say like three or four depending on the industry, other kinds of stakeholders that if you're under-recognized, you want to be considering, right? And they all fall somewhere on these different spectrums, right? And so what I will tend to do is then say, okay, wonderful. We've identified each of these kinds of stakeholders and I'll put together a behavioral profile. Now that behavioral profile doesn't necessarily have like a picture of the person or, um, you know, they're holding a grapefruit seltzer, right? Just like, I prefer this brand, right? Like it's not doing all that, like doing the most (laughs) like this season. Um, (laughs) it's what it, what it does is it keeps things really simple. It will tell you, okay, these are the situations that this person tends to find themselves in. These are the motivations that they have. These are some of the concerns that they have, like the friction that they're working against. This is the status quo that they're trying to overcome um, or that's in their way. Um, and this is the kind of person that they they want to be, right? And so having just that simple collection of information, I found has been enough for my clients, right? Who are, you know, generally people who have their own businesses or they have their own brands or that sort of thing. And the more that I train other marketers or PR people or brand people in like utilizing this, the more I found that they find it helpful too, right? So that's something that I've been seeing as well. Because what I've I've seen is that, ooh, I might use the example of this PR agency that I, um, I did a training for once. The CEO actually asked me, like after I presented all of this research about like brands and bias... Um, was like, okay, how do we how do we market to the people who will want our clients' stuff without being racist, right? Like without triggering all of this stuff that we talked about before. And the reason that was a problem, the reason that was a question or a thing that was in his head is because he was still stuck in the ICA mindset, right? Where like there are various ICAs for the kind of person who will want this product when really it's like a few motivations. Why does like, why does this person want this golf club? That was the example that he gave. Like who would want a golf club with these particular attributes? Why would they want it? What situations do they find themselves in? Understanding their motivations ends up being enough. And when you do, then you don't have to worry about like, oh no, did we put too many white people in this commercial? Or, you know, like, or did we forget that also Asian men like to golf? You know, like, you don't have to worry about that because at this point, all you're doing is speaking to motivations. Um, so that's that's kind of how I handle that. But I do agree that, like, if you're used to having, like, being supported or buoyed up by all of this very intricate data about this, frankly, imaginary person, right? Then it can feel a little weird, like a little vulnerable to only have like these few things. But I've I've found that it like, it doesn't, I'm not weighed down by, like I get to focus on like what is actually gonna move the needle. Um, So yeah, that's how I would answer that question. But it also has, it's reminding me of the second thing that I was going to, say that people get wrong and it's awful. So 
which is white. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if y'all are ready. I don't, I don't know. No, like truly, I don't know. Like you, okay. you knew about my ICA thing beforehand and like, cool. Like that's kind of cute. And everyone's like, yeah, like this is a, this is a, a darling that I'm willing to part with. The second one is maybe less so niching. Niching is not great, y'all. Niching has been sent from hell to kill me. It is my arch nemesis. And it it needs to be the Thanos snap treatment is really what needs to happen. So disappear from this plane of existence. I have so many feelings on niching. Most of them are... Well, do you have any thoughts, feelings, or concerns? I say, I yes. ha- there was a hand raised. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, we're going to surprise you and say we agree with you about niching. Oh, my goodness. Maybe more middle ground of, like, we don't think it's necessary, but we want to hear your intense, like, true <laughs> hatred of niching. Like, tell us more. Yes. Would you agree with that, yes. Morgan? So, yes. I will say I, I'm ready to be challenged on this mm-hmm. I, because I, this is something that I have not thought about. I'm coming at, I'm coming to it from a mindset of we work primarily with a clinician that can't work with more than 30 people at a time, max. Mm-hmm. And I think that also feels different than mm-hmm. a larger company like State Farm who's yep. like reaching the masses. And so I'd love if you could pull that piece into the conversation as well. I'd be really interested about that. For sure. Yeah. Because niching actually, the the problems with niching actually disproportionately affect smaller and micro-sized businesses and like especially service-based businesses. So 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 here's the deal with <laughs> with niching. What I found is that folks tend to lean on niching because they're not quite sure how to articulate what it is they do in a way that is compelling and succinct and all of the things um, to the folks that they would like to have hire them. That tends to be the, the issue, right? What folks do not realize, so like business owners primarily, folks who are not in our field, what they don't realize is that niching is actually a very hyper-specific tactic that's meant to be used in hyper-specific instances. And I'm not saying that just to be like someone who nags about um, semantics, right? It's not just a semantic issue. What, and I'm sure you've seen this, Morgan, what happens when folks rely on niching in order to do the things that we've just talked about is that they continue to niche, right? It becomes an ever moving target for them. And whenever something goes wrong, whenever, oh, you know, that person would have been a great fit for my work, but they like, they didn't, they didn't, I didn't close them. Right. Or for some reason they didn't book with me. My niche must not be tight enough. Like I've got to like, I've got to tighten up my niche. Right. That's usually the thing that happens. What people don't realize is that a niche is actually really only something that you want to use when you actually have a niche product, right? Example, gel liners for amputee athletes. That is a niche product, okay? That is something that basically just amputee athletes are going to want to use, right? And so all the things that people turn to niching for, like, 
the compelling bit, the succinct bit, the magnetic, you know, the magnetic bit, all of that, all of that stuff is already built into the idea of the product in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Right? Like, we don't have to make the idea of gel liners for amputee athletes any more compelling to amputee athletes because they know that they need that thing. That's compelling enough on its own. But when we're talking about a micro or a small business, especially a service-based uh, a service-based business, right, or a consulting business or something with a practice, that's not the case, right? It's not the case that, oh, I, you know, I do weight-inclusive coaching, right? Saying that by itself isn't going to have somebody go, ooh, yes, yes, yes. And that's why people turn to niching in the first place. What they actually want to do is positioning. Positioning is the thing that's going to fix that problem that they have. And positioning is very simple. It's knowing what it is that you do, knowing what makes it awesome, and knowing who in particular cares about those awesome things. That's positioning. That's it. And that's not an ever-moving target. That's something that like, you can answer, maybe refine over time, but like, you answer it and it's super clear. Now, the reason that niching makes me so mad is because people know in the marketing industry, they know that niche marketing is something that you use in very specific instances. But they also know that they can continue to get money from you if they keep telling you that your problem is your niche. If you don't have a niche product, your niche is never going to be tight enough. So you can, you'll keep coming to them and keep paying them to support you as you tighten up your niche, air quotes. It sounds like diet culture. I literally, ah! I'm like, it sounds like someone who sells a diet and they tell you that you're the problem. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly it. Okay. Yes. So just want to, I, again, just want to check this out. So I'm <laughs> niche versus positioning. Mm-hmm. Positioning would be. Can you repeat the what, what you said of like? Yeah, yeah. So okay, things? so positioning is essentially knowing what you do, okay, what makes it awesome, mm-hmm. and who cares about those awesome things. Mm-hmm. So for an example, that could be um, what you do provide nutrition counseling. Mm-hmm. What makes it awesome is that mm-hmm. you uh, treat the person as a human and not Mm -hmm. a product of diet culture. Mm -hmm. And the people Mm -hmm. that are going to care about that are the people that have tried diet over diet and have had no success. Ta-da! You have just positioned a random person. Yeah, there you go. That's it. That's positioning. Super simple, right? Oh my goodness. It's like you weren't agonizing for like months and and years like over that. See how simple that was? I also love this because this is something that I run into where I work with a provider that is a solo, like it is only them and they have this really tight niche and then they hire team members and they're like, what do I do now? That's not the niche of my provider, of my other providers. And so I feel like when you move out with this like position, that's more like, these are our company values. Yes. This is what we have to offer. And everyone exactly. needs to at least be in alignment with that if you're going to yeah. be on our team supporting this audience. Exactly. Oop, I see a hand. Yes, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I want to take this example one step further in would a way to use niche effectively, if needed, be that you have a group practice. The things Morgan listed are like the overarching reason why 
someone's going to be drawn to you, their motivations. And then let's say you have an athlete who is quadriplegic and watch someone who understands both of those pieces plus practices from that lens. Yeah. It's okay to have that niche because they're like, yes, you are serving exactly what I want. And I'm looking for that. Yes, that can be the case. And often what I will see is, yeah, in like a group practice situation, right? You'll have the, you'll have the overarching practice and then you'll have the person in the practice who, because of their experience and their background and their education, they are really good at working with quadriplegic folks, right? And so they've decided, you know what? Those are the folks that I want to work with in particular. That's it for me. Sorry. So then the person comes out and they say, well, um, I am a weight-inclusive health coach that works with quadriplegic folks. That is a, that is a niche, right? And you would do niche marketing in that instance. But you don't need it, right? Like, being a business does not automatically mean that you need a niche. Snaps. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and if I can like pull this back to the um the image that we had of like brands and like constellations and like the brain and the memory, right? We know that a brand is a system of ideas that influences the behavior of other people, right? And we know that in our heads, we have this constellation of interrelated memories and ideas, right? What positioning asks is, okay, where do we want to place ourselves in this constellation? That's all that it means. We have our system of ideas. We now want to know, okay, where in this memory network do we want to place this system of ideas? What things do we want connected to it? And what things do we not want connected to it? Like we, like we talked about before with, you know, just in case Jake from State Farm ends up being like the worst, right? That's, that's all positioning is. Niching is something else entirely. <laughs> I think the only other thing that I would maybe bring up is that... I've noticed a lot of folks, and this might be the case in your industry as well. I've noticed a lot of folks as economic sentiment gets more and more negative, right? So as more and more people say, oh no, we're probably heading into a recession. Things are not good. Oh no, right? As more and more people start thinking that way, small and micro business size owners service-based business owners, practitioners, that sort of thing, have gotten into the situation where they feel like everything that they knew about how to talk about what they do and who to talk to and like all the, and the things that they find yummy and necessary, that all those things are wrong now. And like now they have to just sort of like figure it out. And sometimes it feels kind of personal, right? Like you've been abandoned um, by this protagonist that used to be sort of like a, a consistent person that you knew, right? What I want to say, and this is less of a hot, well, this might turn into a hot take. This is less of a hot take and more of like an encouragement. What I want to say to folks is that you're okay, sweetie. <laughs> it's not that everything that you know is wrong, right? You just had a limited facet, a limited lens on this person and all you need to do is switch out the lens that you currently have for another one. Um, now, when we're in the in the case of like an economic situation like the one that we're in right now, 
those of us who are listening who have a background in psychology, you will know that when folks are in the kind of mental state that this necessitates, folks start focusing on certain kinds of value, right? So they're looking for like a fix to a problem that is happening right now, as opposed to the problem that might be further off, right? So like, let's say that this, your client is someone who their health is such that they don't have the energy to continue to support their family and loved ones and the people around them. And that makes them extra stressed out because of the economic situation that they're in, right? Let's say that's something. This same person may also, you know, want to make the world a better place, right? That might be a core value of theirs. And the reason that you that you work with the people that you do is because you want to equip them with the health and the energy and the bodily resources that will allow them to go out and do that thing right in the in the current climate that we're in right now while that goal of making the world a better place is something that they still hold it's not something that's going to be as compelling to them anymore the thing that's going to be compelling to them is the problem that they're feeling right then And that's not really something that they can help. That's just like the way that the brain's filters orient themselves when ish hits the fan. So that's less of a hot take and more of a don't lose hope. All this means is that you want to take what you already know about this person and shift a little bit. It's just a tiny shift. In fact, if you're interested in, like, we've been talking for ages, so, like, this could be a whole other podcast talking about what those shifts should be. Um, But the shift, like, science is, the science is pretty clear about what those shifts should be. So, like, it's not a, it's not hard. It's just not something that you've practiced up until now. And that's fine. That's not your fault. It seems like it's almost like that protagonist has short-term and long-term goals, and you're kind of you're like the long-term goals are always going to still be there. That vision for their life is still going to be there, but we're going to focus a little bit more on the short term. Yeah, exactly. 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 (laughs) Well, we could talk for literally ever. (laughs) We'll have to, we will have to do a part two, uh, because I guarantee that people are going to listen to this and (laughs) fall out of their chair more, fall out of their chair. (laughs) Um, we should put a little warning at the front of this episode that if you're driving, you should probably not listen to this episode. Oh my gosh. Disclaimer. Oh my uh, God. Wait, this has been incredible. We love ending our episodes with some rapid fire questions. If okay. you're okay with it. All right. Totally fine. <laughs> if your business was an animal, what would it be? Dragon. What is your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Mm, people pay me to nerd out. What is your morning routine to get ready for your day? Okay. So usually I will wake up and ill-advisedly, I will um, look at my phone and look at my emails. I've been trying <laughs> yeah. to do that less, trying to do it less. It's not good for you. Um, but what what I am using to help me do that less is, y'all, there's this super duper cute app. It's called Finch. And it's essentially, it's a self-care pet. And it's like this little, it's this little bird that you, like every time you take care of yourself, you take care of this little baby bird 
And like this baby bird will just come in every day and ask you the most adorable questions. And they're just so cute. And like you get to name your bird. And I'm like, I love this app. This app has done wonders for me. And so, <laughs> and so what I tend to do is I'll wake up. Sometimes I'm still kind of tired. And so I'll pull up my phone. I will check on Opal, who is my little singe baby. <laughs> check in with her just answer her freaking adorable questions have my mood immediately lifted um check in on the stuff that I should be doing throughout the day for self-care because y'all time blindness is real and (laughs) and sometimes you'll go through the day and then you'll be like I wonder why I'm so tired oh yeah I haven't eaten today right like Yep. Apple reminds me to do that stuff, right? And so I'll check with my list of like self-care things for the day so I can just sort of have it in my mind. I'll do a little bit of like meditation and spiritual practice, nothing too long, just to like sort of ground me. Then I'll go like wash my face, brush my teeth, do like the usual things. And then usually at around like 9 a.m., office hours open up, I'll have my cup of tea, then I will read my emails. <laughs> And then I will start my day, uh, which usually is like reading a, a bunch of articles or like finding finding random research and connecting dots. I'm downloading Finch. Yes, no, Thanks. please. Oh my God. I can like, I will never stop talking about this app. Everyone get Finch. This is not sponsored. I'm not an influencer, but like get Finch, get it. But, but Finch, you should sponsor all of us if you want to. Sorry. You should sponsor us. We're We're getting you <laughs> mad money. <laughs> If you had $10,000 handed to you today to spend Mm. on your business, how would you spend it? Ooh, great question. Okay. So first things first, I would build my savings back up. So this is a thing that, um, full disclosure, I was very, very sick this year. Mm. Um, so sick that like, it was kind of touch and go about whether or not I would, I would live. Oh my gosh. So I was very sick this year. And we didn't, technically I've been sick for a while, but we only really caught it at the beginning of the year. And so what that meant is that for like the last, I want to say year and a half, I hadn't really been able to like go full force as far as like marketing and sales were concerned. I had the clients that I currently did and that was kind of it. I didn't have like the, the, faculties to go out and search for more folks. And so I ended up burning through my savings. I'm like, great, that's what your savings are there for, right? It's there for emergency situations like that. Um, But now that like my health is stable, now I have more faculties to do those things. So I definitely build up my savings. And then with whatever is left over, there are some people that I would hire, like, just like, coaches or folks who know like who have certain ways of thinking that I kind of want to explore so that's probably what I would do yeah oh and I would take I would take of like a fuller sabbatical that's the other thing yeah I'd oh take yeah a we back to that what is <laughs> okay first of all I'm so happy that your health is much better now I'm sure that must yeah. be such a relief to to have gotten yeah. to this point fully yeah I'd love to hear about the sabbatical. I know we'll, we'll pause the rapid fire questions really quick. We'll do an yeah, no. So this, I mean, this sabbatical is really what I'm trying to force myself to do is to take the rest that I hadn't taken after like my diagnosis and all of those things, right? Like 
I got diagnosed, but I couldn't stop working, right? Because like my my savings were basically gone, right? And so what I've been doing up until this point is getting getting my savings to a place where like I can take some time. I can take a little bit of time. Um, and that means that just like my business expenses are covered. And so like, I don't have to do anything for the next couple of months. I can if I want, but I don't have to. And so what that means is I'm largely spending my time um, watching Murder, She Wrote reruns and showing up on podcasts and like people, more and more people are asking me to come and like teach or do workshops or speak and that sort of thing. So I'll I'll do things like that. Um, But I'm not like hunting I'm just sort of like I'm just kind of here and I'm it's given me a lot of space to connect even more dots in my theory of practice which is exciting and like read more articles and more papers and things so like that's kind of what my sabbatical is all about at this point it's it's consolidating or finishing the consolidation process around my theory of practice right and the work that I do making sure as many people as possible hear about it right and and like taking care of myself at the same time so yeah mm. we love that for you that's <laughs> awesome oh thank you <laughs> okay we have three more rapid fire questions for you go do it okay cool what is the hardest decision you've had to make in your business the hardest decision that i probably had to make was the transition that i made from like execution work to the more strategic work that I'm doing now, right? Like when I started my business, I was very firmly in the, like I do like branding execution stuff. I will create your, like your visual identity system. I will code your website and make it all pretty and do all the things. Of course, I'll use behavioral psychology to make sure that it gets the job done that it needs to get done, right? But like, that was primarily what I did, right? And that in a lot of ways is, I don't want to say easy money, but it's kind of like being a doctor, you know, like everyone's going to need a website at some point if they have a business, right? Everyone's going to need a visual identity. The use case for brand science is not necessarily as clear. And I had to make the decision that what I had uncovered in my research about the ways in which visibility is rigged against certain people and the ways in which that's the case and the practices that we have that contribute to those things, I had to make the decision that getting that information out was more important than the stability that the previous version of my business brought to me. And that was really tough because I am... I am a three wing four INFJ, like, (laughs) and we value, we value structure and um, we don't like to lose. (laughs) We don't like uncertainty. And so I was signing myself up for a lot of uncertainty when I made that transition and said, you know what, this is going to be the thing. And I'm just going to have to figure out how I make it obvious to people why they need me positioning if you need uh if you need to convince anyone at this point just send them this podcast episode and it'll for sure do the trick happily like delighted that's <laughs> honestly also thank you for having me because like that is also a thing that I legitimately get to do now like I legitimately get to say hey 
you ever wondered about like brand science and what the deal is, listen to this podcast, which is way easier than telling them to go read my blog post or whatever it happens to be. Podcast is like, it's a, it's a sensory modality that's really underutilized. And it's one that because of that is not as overloaded. And so more and more people are using it. So yes. Yep. I just dropped nerdy stuff there. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) What is your least favorite task that you have happily outsourced? Oh gosh. Yes. Social media, y'all. Social media. Yeah. The only time that I dip my fingers into social media is when I have like a new discovery or something that I need to share or a new dot that has been connected to another dot. Um, And usually what I'll do is I'll talk to my team and say, hey, like, let's start putting out content around this sort of idea. And then that allows me to sit back and write like my longer form things, which is what I, I I tend to spend most of my time doing now. And so like those things will, they might end up on my blog. They might end up at like a high visibility publication. Um, they might end up on LinkedIn or something like that. Right. But otherwise it's my team handling social media, which is just, oh, the relief. You have no idea. You have no idea. And brand science is what let me do it. <laughs> That's the thing. That it's hard to hand stuff off like that. It is really hard. But when you have a, I don't know, like a visibility HQ, which is the thing I tend to build for my clients, and I built one for myself, when you have something like that, that takes everything that's in your head, and just puts it somewhere else so that people don't need to access you to get to it. I mean, that makes everything easier. So, so that's what I did. And so now my team handles social media, and it's great. What is the best thing that you've eaten this week? Okay, you've caught me. You've caught me on a boring week. That's okay. You've caught me on a boring week. So the best thing that I've eaten this week is actually it's a rice and stew dish that comes from um, my my family's culture. So I I am Nigerian. I'm Nigerian and American, dual citizenship, baby. Um, <laughs> but I am obviously because I was raised on and I love Nigerian cuisine, especially Igbo cuisine, which is the tribe that I'm from. And so we have um, this really, it's tomato based and it's like, has a little bit of a kick in it and like, we'll have whatever you want in it. Sometimes it can have tofu, but usually I have it with like beef and stuff and you just ladle that over rice and like, that's it. And it's Yum. so good. It's so, so, so good. It's kind of like a curry, but not like it's, I don't know how else to explain it, but it was delicious. I (laughs) love that. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for joining us (laughs) and for bringing these incredible, these are like so innovative ideas, especially in our industry where there's just not a lot of business and especially not a lot of branding presence. And so we are so, so, so thankful for you spending your time with us this evening. Honestly, Again, thank you for having me. I'm I'm so flattered to be here and to be invited into your space. So thank you Aww, for having me. <laughs> and of course, we can't finish this episode without you sharing with folks where they can find you, where they can connect with you, how they can work <laughs> with you, the whole shebang. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness. Okay, excellent, excellent, excellent. So if you just kind of like want to hang or keep an eye on like research and like concepts and things that come out of the lab, um, I am on Instagram, so you can follow me at NobiWorks, and I share things there all the time. I'm also on LinkedIn, so connect with me on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. I tend to publish a lot of my longer form things there if they're not in, you know, bigger publications. Um, Let's see, what else? I would say that if you are 
interested in learning about any visibility blind spots that you may have or that might be affecting your brand and how influential it is and how capable it is of inspiring people to invest in your work. I have a diagnostic that you can take. I call it the Visibility RX. And what it's going to do is it's essentially going to assess your brand influence. And you'll get this really cool report at the end that will tell you all about what you want to work on and in which order um, so that you don't have to waste your time working on stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, that. I, I, I know I'm an Enneagram 7, but the efficiency <laughs> piece of Enneagram 3s is like my favorite. I'm a huge efficiency girl. So love that. <laughs> Thinking this also why we get along, yeah. like immediately got along. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's what I would say. Start there. Start there, especially if you feel kind of overwhelmed by all of the possibilities. If you happen to be someone who knows, yeah, no, I'm just definitely having a hard time, like, translating being visible into having clients, reach out to me directly. Like, I, you know what, even reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and drop, what's a, what's a, what's a word I can use? Niching sucks. I love that. Drop niching sucks. And I will know that I need to pay attention to that meeting and it, that to that message. And it needs to be me, not my team who pays attention to it. Okay. So I if you say niching that. sucks, I will absolutely connect with you and we will, we can talk about what it is that you need. Um, and we can take it from there. Well, thanks for giving our listeners uh, direct access to you. We much appreciate that. This was lovely. I hope you have an incredible rest of your week, an incredible holiday season, whatever that looks like for you. (laughs) And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you for having me again. Happy holidays, everybody who's listening. Later. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the pod on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review, share with a business bestie, and check out our website at weightinclusiveinnovators.com. See you next week. Bye.